Because Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 is still in the theater, the first few minutes of this discussion and the show notes at the website will be spoiler-free. Are you just watching episode 23, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two? I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is the podcast where we share critical thinking for the entertained Christian, giving you those extra thoughts and discussion points and scripture to take with you as you go see the movies, as you watch movies at home, and even as you're reading stuff on the internet or in books. We want you to think critically about things and for it to strengthen your Christianity, not to cause a stumbling block in your Christianity. Because what we consume is between us and God. It's not for me to tell you what you should or shouldn't consume. I can advise on things and give my opinions on certain things, but it's ultimately up to you and God. And how we process that after we consume it is what can really make a difference, whether we take it to heart, we live by it, or we use it to take it back to Scripture and examine Scripture to see what Scripture says about these things. Now, as you can probably tell, I am again alone in the studio and recording my thoughts on Harry Potter. I didn't get to see the press screening of this, so that's why I couldn't release a review closer to the actual release time of the movie, but the movie is still in the theaters. And uh, to give you a a spoiler-free review of this, I will confess that I have not read any of the Harry Potter books, but I have watched all of the movies and mostly enjoyed them. I've watched most of them twice, at least, except for the more recent ones. And it is a fun series, But yet it is also uh, obviously a series full of magic and full of uh, disobedience without consequences and many things. Well, in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, it brings everything to a close and it has a lot more action than Part 1. I thought Part 1 was a little bit sleepy. Part 2 was really uh, action-packed and good to see the conclusion of this whole story. And I think it came to a satisfactory conclusion. But this will not end the con- this will not conclude the great battle that people have over whether Harry Potter is appropriate for Christians, and that is really between you and God, like we've said before. But when you watch it, I would suggest that you watch it with or people in your family that you take to watch it with you, it be something that you talk about afterward because, well, it's up to you really if you want your kids running around casting spells and pretending to either be Harry Potter or Voldemort. Uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 does have quite a bit of violence and some minor gore. Of course, since Voldemort's in it, there's a lot of dark evil, but there is also a lot 
that we can think critically about from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. And in fact, I felt like there was more in this last episode to talk about than there was in previous movies. Now, it would take us a while to go through all the movies and really give a thorough uh, discussion on all of them because there's so much there. But perhaps this will help and suffice as this is the conclusion of the whole series. So that is the end of the spoiler-free review, and after this wonderful music will be our discussion which contains spoilers. Wonderful music there by Alexander Desplat. I will be buying the soundtrack as I have purchased the soundtracks of all of the others. Now, this is the spoiler section. So if you don't want to be spoiled, then pause the recording now and come back to it later. The entire Harry Potter series uh, focuses on two things, kind of, besides the characters. Magic and good versus evil. From the first time that he who shall not be named or must not be named or Lord Voldemort as he's proclaimed himself to be. Harry Potter has been like this, this crucial centerpiece in this epic battle of good versus evil. And that plays out in every movie since the beginning and it comes to a conclusion in here. What's odd is that it, is this really a victory over evil in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows? No, because evil still exists, but the way that they kind of portray it is that this good versus evil battle means that the champion of one side has beat the champion of the other side, and all of the other evil people that served Voldemort just kind of disappear, they walk away, they give up, I don't know, but it's not the end of evil. And yet that's kind of how the movie portrays it, is that suddenly there's no more evil, no more dark magic. Everything is safe and happy at Hogwarts and the rest of the world for the people of magic. And even Harry Potter and his future children are going to Hogwarts and learning and all of this. And everyone's living happy family lives. Well, scripture says that whether we are good or evil depends more on, I mean, more is more than just our behavior, which in Harry Potter, what seemed to make people good versus evil was just merely their behavior. Harry Potter was good because he behaved. Uh, Voldemort was bad because he didn't behave. And he, yes, he did evil things, but Harry Potter did some bad things too. However, because Harry Potter behaved differently and tried to do good, he was considered on the good side. Well, there's something very similar in the Bible where Jesus is talking about people who have 
done stuff in his name. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, unless we are obeying the word of God, anything we do is just terrible lawlessness. And I'll mention this again a little bit later. But it's what makes us good or evil is not what we do, but it's it's more about a position, our position in relation to God, or really our relationship to God. We are either in God through Jesus Christ, or we are enemies to God because of our rebellion of sin against God's commands and God's authority. Even in this epic battle of good versus evil, this is something that's scriptural, and we see it throughout scripture as spiritual warfare. But it was said from the beginning who the ultimate victor would be. In Genesis 3.15, right after the very first sin, the introduction of sin and rebellion in mankind against God, God says to Adam and Eve and the serpent, but speaking directly to Eve, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, or I'm sorry, he's saying this to the serpent, and between your seed and and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. When everything is done, Jesus Christ will be standing in victory over Satan, the serpent. Harry Potter, Harry Pottery, new pottery classes taught by a magician. Now, Harry Potter is full of magic. Well, duh. And this brings up with it all sorts of questions about the place of magic, because we see witches and wizards, uh, spells and potions. There's even some splitting of the soul and resurrection going on. Some movies like Captain America, The First Avenger, which we reviewed in a previous episode, try to explain certain science, advanced science, as magic. Harry Potter doesn't take that approach at all. Harry Potter just outright says, this is magic. And the Bible is clear that there are spiritual forces, and we see these forces working quite actively around us and against us in warfare. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spirit spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are in a spiritual battle. And so scripture doesn't say ignore the spiritual world, or, but there are some things that are clearly condemned. Like, for example, King Saul, when he went to a medium to have her resurrect Samuel, which apparently she was surprised that Samuel actually came back from the dead momentarily to speak to Saul or the spirit of Samuel. Saul was condemned for that and punished for doing that. It was a rebellion against God. And Samuel, in fact, had said earlier to Paul that, uh, or Saul, 
because of his rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Well, <laughs> that was when Samuel was still alive. Now that Samuel's dead, Saul then commits the other side of that is he commits the sin of witchcraft by getting this medium. But scripture does tell us to engage in this battle. First, or Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons are of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, it tells us what exactly these weapons are that we should be using, not and these are these are the things that we should use and not the world's weapons or the the dark spiritual weapons ephesians 6 says finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of god that so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaunting arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Scripture tells us to actively engage in this battle. And just like in a real battle, there are some people who are on the front lines of battle, and there are some people who are the supporters of the battle. But everyone is a soldier in this battle, and we are to participate in this spiritual warfare. And in some ways, Harry Potter could be used as a weapon of warfare from the enemy to try and to try and in some way raise itself against the knowledge of Christ, not directly oppose the Bible, but raise itself against the knowledge of Christ as people might think that well all it takes is just some magic and then I can be like God or maybe Jesus was just this powerful musician or not musician <laughs> magician. So these kinds of things could raise themselves up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But that's why we each need to put on this armor that Ephesians 6 tells us about. What Harry Potter did later on in the movie is, well, fulfill his destiny was uh, as the chosen one. Harry Potter sacrificed himself and In a way, this is a picture of Christ's sacrifice for us to an extent. Consider this. Harry Potter was a constant enemy to Voldemort. And Voldemort was a snake talker 
And Satan was called a serpent. And throughout Harry Potter, Harry was called the chosen one. Well, Jesus Christ was the chosen one, the promised one, even more so, to bring deliverance from sin. Harry Potter was the chosen one to defeat evil. Harry Potter also gave his life over to Voldemort and sacrificed himself for his friends. And because this was part of the grand scheme, not of his design, and Jesus Christ gave himself for us. And when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but yours, Father, speaking to our Father, God. And it's funny that uh, both things happened in a garden uh, where Harry Potter went to Voldemort and where Jesus was praying to God. But where this starts to break down and not line up is consider that Harry Potter had a part of Voldemort in him because of this Horcrux thing. But, or Horcrux. But in Jesus Christ, there is no evil, no darkness whatsoever. In 1 John 1 5, it says of Jesus Christ, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is do- no darkness at all. So of God and Jesus Christ, it says there is no darkness at all. Yet Harry Potter had this darkness in him. And because of that, Harry Potter was also able to talk to snakes. But Jesus Christ is going to crush the head of the great serpent, the devil. Harry Potter gave up being the most powerful wizard just so he could live a normal life. And he didn't want that power. Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan with this great power, but he didn't accept it at that time. However, Jesus Christ is not going to give up his eternal kingdom, and he will ultimately reign supreme. So there are some parallels, yes, but please don't go preaching a sermon on how Harry Potter exemplifies Christ or anything like that. No, we we can get close, and sometimes the world finds themselves inadvertently getting close to Christian ideas, but that's because they're stealing from our woodpile to build their own uh, structure there. So we're going to see this kind of stuff, like in Matrix, and you know how many movies have the chosen one, or like this particular person who is the hero and the savior of some people in some way, and sacrifices himself and all of this. Yeah, there's, we're going to see that a lot. In fact, Scripture tells us there will be many antichrists, people who are against Christ or people who are not Christ, but people make them out to be like Christ. So we need to be careful not to do that with movies like Harry Potter. After this scene where Harry Potter then gives himself up and lets Voldemort just outright kill him, a scene that I was kind of expecting would last a little bit longer, but it it was rather short. He just like, hey, Harry, hey, Voldemort, zap, he's dead. (laughs) There's this awkward scene then of something that's kind of like a heaven. There's this ugly little creature there, and it's Voldemort. But Dumbledore is there in this heaven-like place, and when Harry asks about that creature there, which we can figure out is probably that little bit of Voldemort that was in Harry that 
had just died. Voldemort says, do not pity the dead, pity the living and all those who live without love. But we could take that same statement and change it just a little bit because the people we should pity are those who live and die without God. Because just love isn't enough. Love is an emotion uh, in some ways. It's also a commitment. But love, just an act of love, is not enough to get us to heaven or to be a child of God. We need a relationship with God. Just loving others is not good enough because the world can love others too. Uh, We should pity the living and pity the dead who are without Christ. But for those who die and have known Christ, we don't have to pity them because death has no sting for them or for us who are in Christ. What we kind of see from Harry Potter is that good people go to heaven, bad people don't. Now, there's no no concept of eternal punishment or even just judgment for wrongdoing, just that these people don't go to heaven. And that's it. They're just excluded from that club, but nothing about eternal punishment. So let's think about that then, of if, if the good people get to go to heaven and the bad people still die, but just don't go to heaven, there's no eternal punishment, then why not just be a bad person, live your life however you want, and just realize that eh, when it's over, it's over, that's it. But what we know the truth to be from Scripture is that there is a judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, and, it is, and in as much as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. We know that we will die and after that is judgment. But for we who are in Christ, our life and our death is a wonderful thing. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, whether we live, we can glorify Christ, or whether we die, uh, or when we die, we get to be with Christ. So, that is our promise for heaven. But, Outside of heaven is the weeping, the gnashing of teeth, the eternal punishment. And so it should be much more of an incentive to repent of our sin, to change our lives and uh, follow Christ, because without that, it is eternal punishment. There is also this concept of resurrection in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. And you don't see resurrection too often in movies. It's more like, oh, he almost died, or all of this, or we thought he was dead. But in in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part two, Harry Potter does have to die. And it's crucial to the plan, because if he doesn't die, then this part of Voldemort that's in him doesn't die. So he has to really die, but he has this thing with him, the resurrection stone that he's actually had with him all along. And it was in the snitch that he caught early on in the in the games of Quidditch. And the snitch says uh, something about, I open at the end. 
uh, that opens at the end. And we discover that it's the resurrection inside, resurrection stone inside. And when Harry pulls it out, he then immediately sees his family and loved ones who have helped him. And he's like, oh, you guys, are you going to be with me? I'm ready to die and all of this stuff. And they're like, we'll be with you. And then we don't see them then after that. <laughs> but it, it, I think well, he drops something on the ground and I thought it was the resurrection stone. So did that like give him power? Just touching it gave him power so that he would be resurrected or did he have to carry it? Or ah, I, that spot made me question some things a little bit, but after that you know, it's pseudo heaven scene, Harry does then come back to life, but he pretends to be dead so that uh, he can be carried back and, be part of this overall plan of everything. But then we see how Jesus Christ rose from the dead and was immediately the victor over the grave. He didn't have to be to pretend to be dead or anything like that. He didn't have to try and deceive Satan in any way. He rose from the grave and was victorious over death. And his the fact that he was again living was witnessed by his disciples and over 500 other people. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7. And so we know that he rose from the dead and that was witnessed by many others. But when Voldemort walks into Hogwarts and they're carrying the plain dead Harry Potter there, Voldemort says to everyone there, put your faith in me. Harry Potter is dead. And I'm sure that's the way Satan felt when Christ had died. Is Satan felt like, ha, I've defeated God. Put your faith in me. Your God is dead. However, I think these are words that Jesus Christ is better suited to speak to us. Put your faith in me because your righteousness is dead. Your false gods are dead. Your righteousness, Isaiah 64, 6 says it's like filthy rags. It says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So just some other thoughts on Harry Potter is there's this whole idea of the the hard horcruxes where Voldemort has been able to split his soul into multiple objects and that protects him from death. Well, we can't do that. There is no protection from us. Uh, from death for us, because like Hebrews 9.27 said, it's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. There is no escaping judgment for us. During the scene where Malfoy, who's always been the enemy of Harry Potter, but sometimes it's just been a bully-like relationship, and later on it's actually trying to kill Harry Potter, Harry Potter saves Malfoy, his enemy, even though uh, Malfoy had tried to kill him, and this ends up rewarding Harry later on because he had this ally in Malfoy's mother because Harry had saved 
Malfoy and allowed him to live instead of dying, which he deserved for his terrible acts is what we would think is that he deserved. But really, all of us deserve death because of our sin against God. Snape had all of these things near the end of the whole series where he started doing these evil actions, but suddenly redeemed when we discover that, oh, all of this was part of a bigger plan and the end really justifies these evil means that he did. And that's, you know, that's just nonsense there. And uh, what is positive in this is that after everything is over, we see Harry Potter and uh, Emily, I think was her name. And we see um, Hermione and... I can't remember the other name. Ron, that's it. Harry Potter, or Hermione and Ron, um, each end up having their own families. And we would assume that they are married and that it looks like they are strong leaders in their families and have healthy marriages and they are loving parents and all of that. And that's good to see that at the end and it gives us some kind of nice resolution to see that all everything worked out and they lived happily ever after with Lord Voldemort now out of the picture, but people who are evil still running around somewhere. Hmm. Interesting. So what did you think of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two? Or what about the entire season or series of Harry Potter movies and books? I will be reading the books someday and might then write more review on the books and the movies. But for now, this will suffice. Or what else would you like us to address and talk about in Are You Just Watching? Movies that you think we should discuss? Or what are your opinions on some of the things that we've already shared? Some of our past movies like The Smurfs or The Help or Captain America and the First Avenger let us know. Please comment in the show notes. The show notes for this episode and the scripture references and everything will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 23. And you can call us to leave a voicemail at 859-353-4332 or email your feedback and either written or attach an audio file to it to feedback at noodle.mx. When you're on the site, please go over to areyoujustwatching.com and subscribe if you're not already subscribed. And if you are, that's great. Please also still go there and click the buttons. Click the tweet button, click the like button, click the plus one button, join our Facebook page, leave a comment for us and a rating in iTunes, and that can really help out the show as we're now doing this on a regular basis. And also, please make sure that you follow me on twitter.com slash the ramen noodle, as well as following Eve on twitter.com slash Eve Franklin. So what do we need to do to think critically? We need to know scripture and we need to keep asking questions about what we see. So I hope that you have enjoyed this discussion. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Again, show notes at areyoujustwatching.com slash 23. For E. Franklin, I'm Daniel J. Lewis. Thanks for listening. And don't just watch.
Are you just watching as a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx? Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. Noodle.mx.